Amen. You can be seated here this morning. He is risen. He is risen for some of you, I guess. All right. Man, five years. We're going to eventually get it. All right. Um, we're working on it. If you're a guest, be patient with us. We're a little slow. All right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Throughout the church um, for uh, many years, that idea and that premise of this day, the, the, the time that we celebrate specifically the resurrection of Jesus. And as Pastor Justin mentioned earlier, I want you to know if this is your first time being here, that you are in a gospel-centered place. That this is a place where we speak about the cross and the resurrection every week. And so on this day, um, we purposely, other than this uh, noose around my neck, is, is we try to keep things going exactly the same. We want to preach the same Jesus, the same gospel, because the Jesus that was resurrected 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that is resurrected tomorrow and Tuesday and on Wednesday night and when your car won't start and when your boss is on your nerves and your kids won't do what you want to do, all of those things, when you have an abundance or when you have little, the resurrection of Jesus is still experienced. It is still happening daily for us. Several thousand years ago, the church or the, the Jewish people, they used to gather on the Sabbath on Friday evening to Saturday afternoon. And yet, after the resurrection of Jesus, on that third day when Jesus uh, awoke and was once again filled and brought forth out of that grave, the church saw the significance of that resurrection and that all of history and all of humanity hinges on this one event. And so therefore, that's why we gather on Sunday morning. That's why our, our his, historical calendar is split in the degree that it is. It's because of this man named Jesus, his personhood, his work. And so today, for those of us whom God has saved, this is a day of great rejoicing. It is a day of great celebration. It is a day of great joy as God once again reminds us of the significance of this resurrection. But brothers, sisters, friends, if you are not a follower of Jesus, then Resurrection Sunday, and as every Sunday is, it is a day of reckoning. Is a day that you must respond to. It's an experience that you and I must respond to. It is not something that you and I can remain neutral to. But the resurrection of Jesus declares and proclaims that you and I must respond to this truth. Today, as we look at this passage in Colossians, it's important for us to remember this guy named Paul, he's a new Christian, just want you to know he was once a terrorist. He was once declaring holy war on this new um, faith that had come about called Christianity, and yet Jesus saved him and transformed this terrorist into a church planting pastor and the best missionary that we have ever had for the sake of the gospel. And he's writing these people in Colossae, this city, this church named Colossae, and he's writing to these people to remind them to stand firm in their faith and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to once again to be reminded 
of his cross and his resurrection. Because here's what we all know, and as we experience in our own culture, that false teachers have risen up in the culture. That the way of man, that the way of tradition is heading in a direction that is opposite than the cross, that is opposite than the resurrection. See, people are rising up and they're really questioning this idea of how can a man be resurrected? The evidence, we've never seen this before. Uh, We've never experienced this. It's not every day that you drive down Lover's Lane here and drive by the cemetery and see graves opening up with resurrected people coming from them. And so as as in their day, as in ours, there's many people who are trying to use their intellect and their wit and their knowledge to somehow dampen or lessen or to dispute the truth of the resurrection of our Jesus. But as Paul does, and as I will do briefly this morning, is we must once again for those of us who are in Christ, be reminded of the basics of our faith. And yet, if you are a non-Christian here this morning, my encouragement to you is to be to the point, to, to be straight up, this is what we believe, because this is what the Bible teaches. I would ask you this morning that you would consider these truths, these very important truths, no matter what you have been taught, no matter what you have heard about Jesus or the church as hearsay, no matter what may be experienced in church, as we are often not very good examples. Yet my, my, my heartbeat, my desire, my prayer for you this morning is that you will, for a brief moment, if you will, to, to overlook all of those things, to really consider who is this Jesus. We learn in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that God is the creator, that he is above all things. That means he is a sovereign, that he he has authority, that he, as the grand artist, can control and, 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 and causes everything to happen on this planet from the very diaphragm of your breath being taken as I am speaking to the blade of grass that is swaying in the yard outside of the school to the drops of rain that Jesus that God is holding every one of them perfectly in his creation and if God is God then he can do with whatever he pleases with that creation If you're looking inside of Colossians, look over in chapter 1, where it says this. In chapter 1, verse 15, says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his 
cross. So we see even in the New Testament, as if you read the Old Testament, it is all about Jesus. It is all pointing toward the Messiah that will one, come, one day come, that God in the flesh would become a man and that he would uh, this creator would become flesh himself and that the full glory of God, the full honor of God, everything that God is would be reflected in this God-man named Jesus. And through that, we have peace with God. But the question is, is man, why do we need this peace? Man, what does the Bible tell us here in chapter 2 of Colossians? And it says this, verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, get this, were dead in your trespasses. In the circumcision in your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, I don't know if, about your number of conversations or how many tweets you read or Facebook statuses, but we typically don't see that word trespasses used a lot. What is the scripture telling us here? It says that we are dead in these things. Because God is creator, because he is holy, because he is perfect, because he is loving, because he is just, all of these things, then God demands that we too be perfect to be in relationship with him. And yet, what does the Bible tell us? That we are not perfect, that we are dead in trespasses. What are trespasses? Imperfections. They are our sins. And so if we trace this all the way back to creation, we have God who has created everything, that he has knitted it together, that he has created man in our own image. But we see our first parents all, already in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. What does Adam do? What does Eve do? Man, they want to be God. They want to be in control. God had warned them, man, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Was he talking about a, a physical death? Yes, and eventually they died. But he was also, and more catastrophically, talking about a spiritual death. That if you try to be God, if you go against my plan for you, then you and your lineage, your children's 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 children, will also physically die, but they will also spiritually die. Early on in Christianity, if you were to look at chapter 3 of Genesis, it will say the fall. And I want you to scratch that out because it is more than just a fall. It is the death of humanity. See, brothers and sisters, you are not sick because of your sin. You do not merely have a spiritual cold because of your sin. Sin does not cause you to merely limp around in life. No, the Bible is clear that you are child of wrath, that you are spiritually dead, that in the eating of that fruit, which they did, which we would have done if we were naked in the garden as well, caused us to be broken in our relationship with God. We are 
spiritually dead. The Bible says that you and I's thoughts are on evil continually. It says that we are wicked, that our hearts are, are very wicked and they're filled with great deceit. See, telling a lie doesn't make you a sinner. You're a sinner by nature, therefore you lie. Stealing something doesn't make you a sinner. No, you are a sinner by nature. You are dead men and women walking apart from Jesus. And because of that nature, you and I are prone to wander. We are dead in our sin. Every parent knows that a child is born wicked. Every one of you. As we often say here at Mission, you do never teach a child to be bad, do you? You have to teach that child to be good from itty-bitty age, all right? From itty-bitty age, we're constantly, why? Because apart from Jesus, they are lost. Apart from Jesus, you and I are lost as well. So we see this idea of our trespasses. If you go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body by flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we see here, even in Colossians, this great separation. And again, if we could go back and read the Old Testament, all of it this morning, we will see this humanity. They love God and they fall away from God. They love God and they fall away from God. They love God, they fall away from God. And all they're trying to do is in, in some way take this huge chasm of death between humanity and between God and to bring it together again. And yet all of their feeble attempts never work. They can't be good enough. They can't not cuss enough. They find themselves on a, they give themselves a two beer limit and they keep drinking three. Okay? They, they want a woman that is not theirs. They want a man that is not theirs. They want a, a, a graven image. They want a God that they have created by their own hands. They continue this cycle of trying to reconcile themselves to God, and yet it never happens. It never happens for them, and it will never happen for us. And yet, this morning, we have great hope. We have a great truth. We have a great promise in the person and work of Jesus. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. Where, what does it say? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were, again, dead in your trespasses, God tells us here, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. 
So what we could not accomplish with our own hands, as we tried to work our fingers down to the bone, is the song that we sing here at Mission, and nothing could cover our sins. Nothing can reconcile us back to God. And yet what does God do? God, this creator, comes to a man who is a woman who is spiritually dead, who is filled with wrath, and yet through the power of the resurrection of Jesus is is able to take this dead man, this dead woman, and reconcile them to God. This morning, your only hope is Jesus. Your only eternal resting place is Jesus. You will either give an account for your work, or you will stand before God claiming the perfect one, the perfect work in the personhood of of Jesus. All of our attempts to save ourselves through work and through intellect, through religious practice, are all faulty and counterfeit. And yet, these attempts will not appease God's wrath. See, get this. Listen to me. You and I deserve hell. Hell is not a place where the demons and devil own the keys and are having an eternal party. No, the the keys of hell are held by Jesus himself. It is a place of punishment, and everyone who is in hell, guess what? They deserve it, and you deserve it. I deserve it deserve it. And yet the gospel at the centrality of what it means to be a Christian is this idea of resurrection. The cross is beautiful. It atoned. It was a, it was a sacrifice of death that you and I should have died. But brothers and sisters, if not for the resurrection, then we would just have another good man who died for a good cause. And yet Jesus is alive. He is alive. And on Resurrection Sunday, God does something beautiful. He proves to us that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient. The Bible tells us that the wage of sin, that means this, that there must be a payment for your sin. Every white lie must be punished. Why? Again, God is holy. He is just. If it is not punished, then he is no longer himself. Jesus takes that punishment. He takes that wrath. The resurrection this morning is a guarantee that God accepted Good Friday's work. Today, we we celebrate this idea that unlike in the Old Testament where the people had to slaughter lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb to cover their sin, we are reminded this morning that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient, that it covered our sins once and for all. All of your past sin, if you are in Jesus, is covered. All of your present sin sin that you are currently walking in, if you are in Jesus, it is covered. All of your future sin is covered in this place today. If you are in Jesus, that's why he can say from the cross, it is finished. 
Church, this is the reason why Jesus came. This is the high point of his mission. It is the very purpose that God set in motion before the foundations of the earth were ever created. That, that God is this creator, that man is spiritually dead, yet Christ is our Savior. Amen. Remember, it was not the life of Jesus that changed the disciples. It was not the miracles of Jesus that changed his disciples. It was, it was not initially even the death of Jesus that changed these men that followed after him. No, it was the resurrection of Jesus. See, many times we can really grab a hold of the cross because we're a culture that loves violence. Our video games, our movies, our books filled with violence. We can understand the idea of suffering to some degree, not to the extent of the cross, but you and I can all understand to some degree this idea of suffering, and yet we have no concept of resurrection. We're yet to experience that. And yet, the Bible tells us in Corinthians that we place our hope that if, if, if there is no resurrection of those of us who are in Jesus, then there was no resurrection of Jesus, and therefore we should be pitied. But yet, all of creation is screaming and pointing toward this idea that Jesus is alive. What did Jesus do upon the cross and in the resurrection? He tells us, verse 15, chapter 2, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. This morning, there is only one who is victorious over your sin. There is only one who is victorious over my sin. There is only one who is triumphant over sin, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is our victory. He is the triumphant one. He is the king who has slayed your sin, who has slayed Satan, and who has slayed death. Man, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalm. Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24. We're going to come back to Colossians at the very end, but Psalm chapter 24, I want you to get this idea and this picture of the victorious king. Psalm chapter 24 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Get this. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
Get this dialogue that now takes place in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, and the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. The, the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let me explain to you what is happening here. Originally in its text, it was a, an experience where, where David, the King of all of Israel, the most powerful man on the planet, he is not a king that sits on a throne and, and sends others to battle, but he is a king that goes to war himself. And he's arrived back to the holy city, and he's probably carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And the gatekeepers are asking this question, who is this? How do we know? How should we know that we should allow you in? And yet David, in his response, cannot fulfill what is being said. See, David in this moment is talking and pointing toward the greater king. He is, this has been known as the Ascension Psalm throughout church history as it is speaking toward the victorious Jesus. It is a picture of what happened after the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It is a picture of Jesus returning from his mission on earth. The victorious king. Imagine with me just for a moment as we have all seen movies of the victorious armies returning to their home city. And this is the picture of this psalm. As Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, and now ascended to the heavens, ascends back to his heavenly home. I can only imagine what that must have been like for Jesus to once again return to heaven. There is no doubt, brothers and sisters and friends, that Jesus is God. But let us not also forget that Jesus became a man. And he is still God-man. Jesus, the God-man, died, was buried, was resurrected after 40 days of speaking and, and spending time with hundreds of people. He ascends to the throne of God. Jesus ascends to the throne of God. See, Jesus is alone, is the only one qualified to ascend to heaven. He is the victorious Lord. He is the, the general at the gate saying the king is home. It is finished. Open the gates to my house. Open the gates to the kingdom. And can you imagine in that moment if we could have peered into heaven to see the legions, that means thousands of angels, as God is on his throne and his son, the victorious one, the one who has defeated death, the one who has taken its sting, the one who went for his bride and has reconciled them back to God, stands at the gate and says, fling wide you heavenly gate 
saints because the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords is once again home. And for the first time in all of history, the gates of heaven opened to a man. And because of that, those gates are still open, allowing men and women to once again enter the throne room of God. We, through all the Old Testament, could not even get a glimpse of God. And if you did, you usually died or it transformed your physical body. But through the person and work of Jesus and his cross and his burial and his resurrection, those gates are open this morning and you had nothing to do with it. Nothing. Nothing to get your own salvation. No work could open those. No amount of, of janitorial keys could you wiggle to open, to unlock the gates of heaven. No, it was only one key and Jesus has it. The key to life, the key to death, the key to eternal relationship with Jesus. And so we gather as Christians because the battle has not been lost, but the war has been won. There is victory in Jesus. He is our triumphant king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He gathers the church. He defeats his enemy. He's not rotting in the ground somewhere, but is sitting on the throne as God says, welcome in my good and faithful servant. We do not look upon the cross and weep because a good man was suffering. We look upon the cross because of our sin. And yet Jesus has defeated it. He's defeated it. He defeated it through his resurrection. And Jesus destroys the effects of sin on his people. He's going to destroy the, the effects of sin on his creation, making them all new. Brothers and sisters, friends, walk through the gate. Be reminded this morning of that beauty, of that great thought, of that great significance that if you are in Christ, all of your sin has been buried. That's why we immerse people in baptism. You have been, it's to represent you going under the ground. You have been buried with Jesus. And you are risen with Jesus. And I want you to know there is nothing, if you are truly in Jesus, there is nothing that you can do to pluck you out of his hand. No matter what your past regret is, no matter what your past sin is, if you are in Jesus, I want you to know that God now looks upon you, does not see your wretchedness, but sees the perfected one. His name is Jesus. He is perfect. He is victorious. And so what do we do? What is our response this morning? Well, this is where I'm supposed to, in some circles, ask you to encourage you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. But I'm not going to do that this morning. Because you can't. Guess what? You can't make Jesus Lord of your life. He is Lord. And He is Lord of your life. And you will either, in your death or His return, surrender as His child and welcome Him and, and surrender as, as He is your Lord and as He is your Savior. 
or in his return or your death, you will not have your faith in him, but you will surrender as a defeated foe. Man, you can't do that. You cannot save yourself. But Jesus, your only hope this morning, is that He will save you. Colossians chapter 3, in closing, verses 1-4. through If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where Christ, who is is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Friends, if you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, we encourage you to consider these things. To consider Christ. If He is resurrected, then that changes everything about your life. And our lives should reflect what the Bible just told us. To to seek those heavenly things. To rest in His sacrifice. To rest in His glory. To rest in in His work. And we implore you, we encourage you to place your faith in Jesus and not in yourself. And if you are a believer in this room today, then we encourage you to rejoice, to reflect on the magnitude and and to be humble today that you could not save yourself, that God humbled Himself and became a man. And it saved you. And if there is the fruit in your life of that transformation, may you thank God for every good fruit that He is producing in you. And may we go and live this resurrection. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we don't bow heads and have you raise your hand. We don't have you repeat some prayer after us. Because... Because it's not an incantation that gets you saved. It's the person and work of Jesus. And as if He is piercing your heart this morning, man, I invite you, I encourage you to turn from your sin and come to Jesus. Placing your trust in Him. And after this gathering this morning, myself or Pastor Justin, man, we would love to talk to you and we will spend the rest of the day here if that's what it takes to talk to you about the gospel, to answer your questions, to pray with you, to walk alongside of you. And if you're still not there, maybe this is not the day that God has quickened your heart or awakened your lostness. Man, we encourage you, Mission Church, if you do not have a church home, is a safe place for you to come and to wrestle through those things. Because I want you to know, look around. Everybody, we're going to get real Pentecostal in here today. Look around. All right? For a Baptist church, that's about as Pentecostal as we get. All right? <laughs> Everyone in here is a mess. <laughs> Everyone in here. So no matter how messy you think you got, come spend some time with me. I'll gossip about everybody else in here, and you'll feel a lot better about yourself. Okay? Everyone in here is a royal mess. 
But some of us have been saved. And that's our hope. As we extend that offering to you as well. To be saved. As Jesus calls us to. And invites you to today. Let's pray.